This is God's word. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at daybreak. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. God of grace, thank you for um, words that sometimes speak right into our lives. And as we come into this room, some of us may have that kind of experience and some of us might have very different experience. Um, some of us may come today with so much... Um, so many questions and so much fear of what, what you are all about, what church is all about, and maybe even wounds that we are processing that go back months or years, and we're still trying to heal, and we wonder, we maybe leave the door open a little bit that you might be a part of that healing. And at the same time, there are those of us, like James just mentioned, who have been spoken to maybe even very recently by words from you, and, and you have met us in life, and Others of us come maybe with a new crisis that we can't think about anything else except what is going on at home or back at work or with a family member across the country or right here with us. And that's, that just consumes our consciousness this morning. From all these different places, the truth is that we're similar. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. We're more broken than we want anyone here to know. And we are looking to your words this morning because your story, the Bible, keeps telling us that, that despite our brokenness and our mess, that you move towards us in love so that we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. So will you meet us through that kind of grace, that undeserved love, once again this morning? Amen. When peace like a river attendeth my... Soul? Is that how it goes? Way? When sorrows like sea billows roll. Um, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's how the hymn goes. Thanks for the help. Um, is that possible? Is it possible? I mean, that in that hymn, that is some confidence right there. If you can live with those kinds of words, it is well. It is well. It doesn't... Whatever the world throws at me, it is well with my soul. Is it pot? I mean, that is confidence. Um, speaking of confidence and where we put our confidence in, in the world, we have something called consumer confidence. And Lynn Franco, the director of the Conference Board Consumer Research Center, um, said this. Consumer confidence deteriorated sharply in August as consumers grew significantly more pessimistic about the short-term outlook 
and the index is now at its lowest level in more than two years. Consumer confidence. What about confidence in our leaders? Um, the, the latest CBS News and New York Times poll says that 72% of Americans think that the country is on the wrong track. Well, at least there's 28 of, of you out there, 28% that think differently. 72%. Confidence. Where do we, you know, this psalm, Psalm, 70, psalm 46, is a confidence psalm. And there is a mantra. I don't know if you caught the chorus. I mean, it starts out with this theme, God is our refuge and our strength, ever-present help in trouble. And then the, the chorus that encapsulates that as we get towards the end is in verse 7 and 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. What the psalm is saying to us as we think today about encountering God, this psalm is telling us that it's possible to know God in such a way and to encounter God in such a way that you would end up having an unshakable confidence at the center of your life that whatever comes into your life, whatever's kind of the waves that are crashing against you, that you you will be unshaken. You will you will not because of yourself, but because of your refuge, because of your fortress, the God of Jacob. That's what it's saying. And it says, I will not fear. We will not fear, though the earth give way and mountains fall into the heart of the sea. It's very natural that the psalm would start there. I think it's very human and we understand because when you look around for things to have confidence in, you, you, you look to things that seem unshakable and unmovable. And when I make my way up into the, into the sky in an airplane once in a while traveling across the country, I look down at the earth and I almost always have this moment, unless I have a child crying next to me or something. So maybe it doesn't happen as much as it used to. But I've had this moment where I look out and you just, I just pause and am stunned by how large the earth is. And how we're going over 300 miles per hour, I think. And and you look down out the window and it looks like you're just going at a snail's pace over this gigantic, gigantic, immovable, unshakable earth. That's how it feels. And that's something to put your confidence in, or so you would think, until you learn that um, just this year, was it this year, the earthquake in Japan? Japan moved eight feet. Did you know that? The whole country, the earth, moved eight feet. (laughs) And so you go, oh, maybe it's not as obvious, but the earth moves. (laughs) The earth moves. The mountains fall into the heart of the sea. We try to put our confidence in different things. We, We assume that we can rest at ease in a country like the United States because maybe you don't think about it that often, but if you're really pressed and kind of tease it out, you think, well, we have this, we have this army and this navy and this, um, you know, this air force, and we have battleships and missile defense systems and nuclear submarines, right? So we're pretty safe from attack. We can enjoy the prosperous nation that we live in and enjoy our relative safety and peace. And we can sort of depend on these things, even though we might not really be behind the idea of war and killing and what those things do. But we can rest at ease, we think. We can put our confidence there until who knew that some box cutters and some flight simulator training 
could put us, bring us to our knees in, in really in day-to-day fear. And that these giant, unshakable towers would crumble before our eyes on television in the same morning? Where do we put our, where do we put our confidence? The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The, this, this couple named Ryan Wood Bucamp and Kara Fitzgerald made the news in the last couple of weeks because they started even, Evening Song Farm uh, in Vermont. So just a year ago, these, uh, both, these two 26-year-olds got this farm going. They started a CSA. They have 50 members join. It was going pretty well. They're selling their products at farmer's markets. And then um, Tropical Storm Irene came. And what happened was they had to leave. And when they came back, they found that six of their nine acres of land were just gone, washed downstream. And where the farm was now was the river. The river decided to change its course and go right through their, well, just plow right through their dreams and their plans. And um, this is the way that uh, Fitz, Fitzgerald, she put it. She said, the, prop, the public property, the river, just eminent domained my farm. And no one paid me for it. So I'm sort of pissed, she says. But I don't think there's anything insurance can do. We just talked to our insurance company, and they're so apologetic. They want to help us, but there's nothing they can do. So, you, you know, you can't put your confidence in this plan of the land. I mean, the land itself is gone, and the insurance company isn't there to back it up or to do anything about it. Where do you put your confidence for the future, for your life? The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our land, our battleship, our mountain, our mighty tower, unshakable. Other things that we go to, maybe the economy. Whoops. (laughs) If you put your confidence there. But a lot of us go back to just practical things like family. We put our confidence in family to be there for us. For their love and their presence to be there for us until something like divorce or cancer or addiction or abuse plows right through the middle of that. And so we put our hope and our confidence maybe in our own ingenuity. A lot of us do that. In our education, our 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 higher ability, our ability to get a job, you know, we'll get a job, right? Until the unemployment rate is what it is. Or we put our confidence in a job, maybe in the stability of, oh, a state job. How stable. Work for the state. That was five years ago, maybe, until furloughs and layoffs came along and plow right through the middle of that confidence, maybe. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's a sort of a there's, a, there's a place where we often get in life where we come to a confidence crisis. A lot of times we just, we're smooth sailing until something happens. And I get to see this probably more than anybody that I, I can say confidently that many, many of you and others who have been here have come and have even begun to open your life up to the idea of encountering the real God merely because of such some kind of confidence crisis, some kind of point where you suddenly realize that how flimsy it is to put your trust in money, your body, a 
education, your job, and on and on and on. And suddenly there's a moment of realization. I need something more unshakable. Maybe even just in terms of putting confidence in, your, in yourself. This Christian psychologist, Mark McMinn, recounts a story of meeting a young woman in his church who had recently become a Christian. This is what he writes in his book. His book's called Why Sin Matters. He says, She described her childhood in a home where self-esteem was the primary virtue. Her parents taught her that she was delightful, talented, good-hearted, intelligent, intelligent and witty. Having spent several months with her in a small group, I tended to agree with her parents. But as she talked about her spiritual awakening, she acknowledged that something important was missing from her incubator of childhood self-esteem. Somehow, deep down, she always knew that she was not quite as great as her parents thought she was. She knew that there was an intrinsic need for healing, an inner darkness, a moral decay, which was also part of her character. As she ventured into the traps of promiscuity and drugs, she felt like an imposter, as if no one could know her true self or they would stop loving her. What she longed for was an authentic awareness of her good and bad qualities and love that was big enough to embrace her regardless of her sin. When she turned to God as a young adult, she found that what she had been longing for, one who knew every dark corner of her soul and still believed her to be worthy of love, forgiveness, and grace. That's what the Bible's talking about in Psalm 46 when it says over and over, God is our refuge. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The promise is you can encounter this God and you can have this kind of confidence at the center of your life. And, you know, we're very practical people. And thankfully, this is actually a very practical psalm because then it points you to how. How do you encounter this God? Okay, maybe I'm open to this. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it's not sounding so crazy. How do you approach having this kind of connection to God? And you, you probably didn't notice at all reading it. I didn't the first time that I read this psalm, but it says it has two places where there are some imperatives. The only place where there are imperatives in the psalm, verbs that are, that are speaking out to you, commands really saying, this is what they say. The first, the first set says in verse 8, come and see. Two, two verbs telling you what to do. It's very practical. Come and see. And then the second pair is be still and know. And there are two pairs, and there's an interesting kind of progression and linkage to them. Even the first in each set, if you think about it, the first one are, are verbs of moving, really. It's come, and then be still. And then the second one are more related to perception. Uh, see, and then know. So there, there's this interesting weaving of these verbs. So let's just, as we kind of um, turn to, to kind of land the plane with this, let's look at these four verbs and what they say to us. First of all, come. Come. You want to encounter God? This psalm and other psalms say, move. (laughs) You might not be in the place where you need to be. Get up. Walk. Fly. Crawl. Whatever the way it is that you get around, just, just go from where you are to somewhere else. Come and see God. See what He's done. This might come as a challenge to some of us because the Bible is often doing this. The Bible makes the assumption that, that we often will not be where we need to be to encounter God. That, we, that our own intuition, that our own best efforts, that our own best intentions um, are going to have us in, in places often where we're not in the best place to encounter God. 
We won't get there accidentally. And so there's this call over and over if you read the, the psalm book, these, these ancient psalms. There's 150 of them in here. And if you read through, every once in a while you come across this call. Come. Come to God. Come and hear. Come and kneel. Come and see. In Psalm 34, 66, 95, come. And in Psalm 46 that we're reading today, it's all throughout this psalm, but come. You might not be where you need to be to encounter God. And it's interesting then when Jesus, if, you, if, if we fast forward and look at Jesus, a, a really good, practiced, well-versed first century Jew in the scriptures and in these psalms who knew about these kind of calls to come to the God of Jacob, the Lord Almighty. He knew these, this. And, and he ends up saying something so incredibly scandalous. He says, when he, when he says the verb come, he says, come to me. He doesn't always say it because in certain contexts in his day that would get him killed immediately. And eventually these, these kind of statements by Jesus did get him killed. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to me. To me? No, 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 Jesus. You, come, you go to the Lord Almighty. You go to the God of Jacob. Jesus is saying something that really it shows the the way in which Christianity makes itself very vulnerable to you just walking out the door. Because Jesus, you know, he's saying something that shouldn't be true. Come to the God of Jacob through you, to a human, to someone standing on earth right in front of me. No, 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 no. That's not how it's supposed to work. Come to me? Are you, are you serious? So you have two options, really, to just say, forget this. This is crazy. This guy is he's either a liar or he's a lunatic. Or, so there's either walk away and turn and forget about it, or there's square up to him saying that and wonder if it might be true. There might be something about that that's true. And if you do begin to, to do that and take that route, then you need to begin to um, view him not just as liar or lunatic, but as Lord, as someone who perhaps now you need to rearrange your life around and see him, Jesus, as the way of knowing God. Come. Jesus says, come to me. Come and see. Come and see. Do you know that, um, you know probably you've heard about Doubting Thomas in the book of John, the Gospel of John. Doubting Thomas, after Jesus has appeared to other disciples, they, John hasn't seen him yet. And when they tell him, he says, not until I see the marks in his hands and I put my fingers there, not until I see will I believe. I will not believe until I see um, and Jesus, his approach to that, of course, is to bring fire down from heaven on this person who has lack of faith, right? No. His approach is a week later to show up to Thomas, this one with weak faith who's doubting, who doesn't believe his good friends who he spent the last three years of his life with. And he says, look, see it. In fact, put your finger there and believe. This is a kind of tender sort of way that God meets us and God reveals there's a God who knows you need to see something that you're not seeing. And He invites you to come forward and see it. And we, you will have friends throughout your life. You'll meet people and they'll say things like, you know, there's nothing more dangerous than these, these religious people, these Christians, because they just think that everybody out there needs to see things the way they see it. Everyone has to see it from your perspective. And you're just shoving your pill down everyone else's throat and it's dangerous. Well, Psalm 46 
when it says, come and see, where it ends up is saying, look at what God has done. Verse 9 and 10. No, just verse 9. It says, he makes wars cease. This is what we want you to know about the God of the Bible. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. What should you know about the God of Jacob? The Lord Almighty, the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus. What should you know about Him? Is that His view towards the world is one of renewal, of what we call recreation and healing in all aspects, on all fronts of creation as we know it. Healing, renewal, the chaos that comes from war, the waves that crash against us, the chaos of war and pain and suffering and evil. God's, God's approach is one of healing, a restoration of the renewal of all things. And so and that's exactly what Jesus was showing Thomas when he showed him his resurrection body. He was showing him and his disciples and us the hint of, of the legitimacy of the promise of new creation, of renewal of all things. That's where, that's where things are headed. That's what Christians are saying that they see. And that doesn't sound dangerous to me. Be still. Come and see, be still, and know. I love the, there's a couple of quotes in the worship guide that relate to this being still. And, and so Evelyn Underhill is one of them. She says, Many people feel unaware of any guidance, unable to discern or understand the signals of God, not because the signals are not given, but because the mind is too troubled, clouded, and hurried to receive them. And then the old Catholic priest, the saint from the 16th century, St. Vincent de Paul, he said, He who is in a hurry delays the things of God. Be still and know that I am God. Let me just briefly say, and then we'll move on to the, to the last little point, that in terms of being still and knowing, knowing that God is real, being still, there is something almost inherently... Um, Problematic about attempting to know the God of grace and being wrapped up in the busy and the worry of a, of a crowded, hurried life. And this is why. is because the God of grace from the Bible meets you and wants you to know that there is nothing that you have left to busy yourself with in order to do what is most important in this world. He has already done the most important thing through His Son to reconcile you to Himself and to begin the process of this new creation. So, to be busy, to have a busy schedule, we're not, I'm not speaking out against that, but to not stop and be still in the midst of it, you almost guarantee that you end up saying, and you've, you've been there, where you say, oh, I don't know why, but I'm just so distant from God. Why am I so distant from God right now? Why does He seem like such a myth? Is there, is there a place where you're being still, where you're being still for rest? For a hike in the mountains to think about God? For a, a rest at the beach to reflect? For a moment of quiet on the couch? For a nap? Be still. Then you're opening yourself up to know that the real stuff that matters in life and in your relationship with God, God has already done. You can relax. And then no. So the end of all this process 
of coming and seeing and being still is that you might actually know God. You might be able to say, I know God. I know that you are God, the God of Jacob, my fortress. And we, of course, our practical question is, well, what's the nature of this knowing? What's the degree of certainty we can expect to have with this? And certainly it's not going to be like a chemistry experiment. It's not going to be like your knowledge of the, the table, periodic table of elements where you can do A and B and know that you're going to manipulate things so that you get C as a result. Because as C.S. Lewis put it in the Narnia Chronicles, Aslan is not a tame lion. You're not going to begin to know God in a way that you can control and predict and manipulate for your own outcomes. And yet, it's possible that you will know this great God, this, this mysterious, grand, powerful God, that you would know Him as the center of your daily life, your strong tower, your battleship, the thing you can go to and know that life's going to be okay. You, you can have God in your life that way. And I would just say that I would expect, I would, if I were you, I would expect that your certainty will vary. Your certainty of knowing and how you know and the degree to which you know is going to vary. Just think of, as we close, just think of two ways of knowing. There's the centurion, if you know the story, when Jesus is on the cross. And there's someone who knew nothing about the Hebrew Scriptures, scriptures and nothing about the language of the Son of David and the Son of God. But he, this is, this is what uh, the Gospel of Mark tells us, that this centurion standing by, the soldier watching, saw how Jesus died on the cross. He saw that happen. And he shouted loud enough for people to hear, Surely this man is the Son of God. And that sounded pretty certain. Certain enough that, that it got written down and got passed on. So maybe when you look at Jesus and when you think about what we'll be thinking about at this table, about his death on the cross, there might be a certainty level once in a while like that. And other times you might be like the person who approached Jesus and his response to Jesus was, Oh, Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. So expect it to waver, but nonetheless, come... Come, move, open your eyes and see and be still and you might know. You might know in a way that's, that's just enough knowing for God to be stronger and more unshakable than anything else you're putting your life in right now. Will you pray with me? God of grace, as we think about any kind of message like this, we know that we need your help and we feel powerless to to have a kind of faith that is certain and that will sustain us. So we ask that you help us and you meet us. Help us even with the gift of faith, even with the help of how to know you better, how to carve out time to be still, how to find space amidst legitimate work and legitimate busyness to see you and to know you, to find you. In fact, we need you to find us. So will you do that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.